Thank you, Pastor Francis, and uh, hello, everyone. It's good to uh, it's good to see all of you. Um, well, maybe not physically see all of you, but uh, to be with all of you uh, uh, via Zoom and just to be able to worship the Lord together is always a privilege. Uh, today, um, we are looking obviously at uh, Luke chapter ten, and this is a very famous story, very famous parable of Christ called the Good Samaritan uh, story of the Good Samaritan parable for or the parable of the Good Samaritan, uh, as we are, most of us know it. And as Pastor Francis was saying, uh, we we wanted to, this, at the beginning of this uh, this new year, uh, think about different ministries in our church. And uh, obviously, Pastor Francis talked about serving the last couple of weeks and really the importance of serving. And it's really calling us, you know, as, as a people of God's church to serve. And, you know, we wanted to just to talk about different aspects in our church that we can serve in, different committees we have, different ministries. And so he and I were talking about this and he was talking about different committees and uh, we talked about mercy and that, that got me excited. I said, you know what, can, you know, can I get the opportunity to talk about, to preach about the importance of, you know, mercy ministry, the importance of gospel neighboring. And so today we're talking a little bit about that. And. It's a wonderful passage, so much in this passage, but we'll try to keep it, I guess, kind of focused. And one of the things I think it's important to, 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 to know is that when we reach out to people, when we minister to people, I think biblically, you know, we have what we would call, I guess, gospel messaging, which is really just speaking about, or preaching, sharing about the love of Christ, about the gospel of Christ, and really just verbally um, letting people know. About, about about Christ, about the Lord. But what we also see is not just gospel messaging, but we see gospel neighboring, as some would put it, where through our actions, through our deeds, right, through just the things that we do, through meeting other people's needs, we, we really show and we, you know, we witness, you know, with the love of Christ. And I think it's important for us to know that it's not just all about just the messaging or just it's all about just the doing. It's really both, right? We want to show people the love of Christ through our actions, uh, through our deeds, through meeting of needs, but also we want to, with that, you know, share just the amazing gospel of Christ. We want to share about the amazing grace that we have in the Lord. And I think oftentimes, though, uh, we, we, we tend to lag in one or the other or, or both, for that matter. And today, I want to really just focus on what does it, what does it look like for us to be loving our neighbor by gospel neighboring? What does it look like for us to meet other people's needs uh, with the love of Christ? And so we're we're here in uh, the Gospel of Luke, chapter ten. Uh, I think uh, Brother Brandon read it very well for us, verse twenty-five to thirty-seven, with the parable of the Good Samaritan. And so I want to really talk about three things today. Uh, the, the first one will be the the command and call. Right, to love our neighbor in need, right? The command and the call to love our neighbor. Uh, secondly, I want to really talk about the costliness and the comprehensiveness of that calling, right? To love our neighbor, the, the comprehensiveness, the costliness of, of the calling to love our neighbor in need. And, and lastly, the motivation to love our neighbor. Right? Where do we get? That motivation. So, so we're gonna look at the command and the call to love our neighbor, the costliness, the comprehensiveness of that call, and also the motivation to love to love our neighbors. And so we wanna we wanna start here with 
just the command and the call to love our neighbor. And, and look at the passage. And, and the passage starts with a lawyer, right? If you look at verse 25, a lawyer stands up to put Jesus to the test. Now, when we hear the word lawyer, most of us probably think about criminal lawyer, civil lawyer, right? Think about a lawyer that we know. We, know, um, we have some lawyers in our church, but the lawyer here is not talking about the kind of lawyer we would think about generally. The lawyer here is talking, we're talking about a religious lawyer, someone who is an expert of the law. So this is somebody who doesn't just read the Bible. This is somebody who knows the Old Testament and just really knows the word of God as they knew it back then, just really inside and out. Somebody who is an expert of the law. And he asked Jesus a question, a very important question, actually. He says, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? There's a very important question. However, the way he asked the question, it says here in the passage that it is a test. He's trying to trap Jesus. He wants to trap Jesus. And so he asked the question in this way, probably because he knows Jesus hangs out with sinners. And maybe he wants Jesus to say things in a way where maybe he undermines the law or where he doesn't really seem to lift up the law of God. So he tries to trap him. But Jesus, he asks a question back to him. He says, well, how do you read it? What's written in the law? You're the lawyer, right? You tell me. How do you inherit eternal life? And then the guy, you know, he, he answers the question, you know, very well. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. Now, this is nothing earth shattering. This was known by, you know, by anyone who knew the Old Testament that this was the summary of the law, right? We have loving God and loving neighbor, right? He's quoting from, you know, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 6, Leviticus 19. I mean, these are famous passages. And so he's summarizing the law. And Jesus says, okay, good answer. You've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Now, um, this, is, you know, this is not really Jesus saying, you know, that if you do a bunch of things, you can be saved. I think we, we should all know better than that. Obviously, we know that, you know, we cannot ever do anything enough uh, to be perfect enough to be saved on our own merits. And, and Jesus is kind of exposing that. There is no way anyone could love God and love neighbor perfectly in order to live. And so really what this should have done is maybe make the lawyer think and say, I can't do that. How can I then inherit eternal life? And hopefully that he would then maybe get to the place where he understands he needs grace. But instead of doing that, he tries to justify himself. And he says, who is my neighbor, right? Because the command to love God, obviously, would seem too much. To love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind would seem impossible. But also the command to love your neighbor as yourself would also seem impossible. And so he wants to justify himself. He wants to maybe try to make it, make it more available, something that's doable. And he says, well, who is my neighbor? And, and here, what Jesus does is he doesn't answer the question directly. He gives a story. And I think we all know the story. I hope we all know the story. And the story, obviously, is about a man, you know, who's going from Jerusalem to Jericho. He, you know, he falls among robbers. He's beat up and he's left half dead. He's dying. And, you know, one of the things we need to know here in this passage is that this road from Jerusalem to Jericho. I mean, this was a, you know, it was it was a road known for people to to get 
robbed it. It was a very dangerous stretch of road. And, you know, I think some people even call it parts of this place, the pass of blood, right? Or the way of blood, because it was known for just, just the danger that came with it. And so the man is in a dangerous road. He's attacked by robbers and he's pretty much left for dead. And then what we see in the passage is we see two people that everyone would maybe expect to help the man. We see two people that you would think would help this dying man, a priest and a Levite. These are religious leaders. A priest is the person who's obviously doing offering sacrifices at the temple. And, you know, he's, he, he's a leader. But, and a Levite is not a priest, but it's an assistant to the priest. And these are two people that are very, um, you know, looked up to. These were supposed to be men of God. And what do they both do? They ignore the guy. They pass by on the other side. They want nothing to do with this person that is left half dead. And, you know, scholars wonder that why, why, why did they just leave him there? Why didn't they, you know, try to help him? And, you know, and people wonder maybe they were scared that, you know, the robbers were still around. They might get robbed themselves. Maybe, you know, it's because this man looked like he was already dead. And obviously they didn't want to touch a dead man because, you know, in Jewish, in Jewish law, if you touch the dead person, you become ceremonially, ritually unclean. And that would complicate their life. That was not good for them. Uh, maybe they just were busy. They didn't want to deal with it, right? No one knows for sure. You know, Jesus doesn't explain that. But these are some of the reasons that scholars give to maybe why they passed by him. But the important part is, after they pass by him, a Samaritan comes and he sees him, has compassion on him, and he tends to his needs. And Jesus is answering this question of who is my neighbor? How do I love my neighbor? By showing this example of a good Samaritan who sees this man who is injured, right? who sees this man who is pretty much dead. And he does everything he can to help him. And so, and so really, you know, the, the first point I'm trying to make, and I'm going to, I guess, say a little bit more here is, is the command and the call to love our neighbor. The command and the call to love, well, what, what is it, right? In, in this kind of context, meeting someone's need, I think it means, at the very least, a few things here. It means, one, we want to see the people in need. Right? We want to see the people in need. Not just look at them for a second and walk away, as we see with the priest and the Levite. We want to see the need that they have. But then we don't want to see it. We want to have compassion. Right? We want our hearts to go out to them. And lastly, we want to act upon that. Right. So we we look at the passage. We see three people. They all see this person who is dying, person who you know, is practically dead, who is in need. And the first two, right, the priests, the Levite, these religious leaders, people that people that were looked up to, people that probably maybe people would have expected to help, they just walk on by. They don't they see him, but they don't see him. He's not important to them. But the Samaritan sees this person. The Samaritan sees this person who's left half dead and his heart goes out to him. He has compassion. And how often is it that we're like the priest and the Levite? We don't see people in need. We don't care. 
right? You know, you know, maybe sometimes we're just so busy with our own lives, with our own stresses. See, we don't look around to see who is hurting, who who needs our help, who needs our prayers, right? Who needs our you know our, our words of encouragement, you know, who needs acts of mercy and deed ministry done for them. We don't see it. Maybe we don't care, but we need to see the people in. We need to look for people who are hurting, who are in need, but also we need to have compassion. How often do we see somebody in need and maybe we're like the priest and the Levite, oh, I don't want to be bothered by them. I don't want to be troubled by them. Let me walk to the other side. Maybe not physically, but in our hearts, we want to walk, we want to pretend we didn't see it. We want to pretend, you know, it doesn't affect us. But what we see here is a Samaritan whose heart goes out to this man. And, and it's actually surprising because the way Jesus frames the story, it's a purpose. Jews and Samaritans did not like each other. They were enemies, right? They were just a lot of dislike. And so the idea is that the man who's going from Jerusalem to Jericho, I don't think explicitly says it here, but he, he's supposed to be a Jew. And then a Samaritan who is an enemy of the Jews, somebody who is disliked by the Jews, right? He, he wants to help this man. Uh, let me actually read something here from, uh, from a commentator. And he, he writes like this. A Samaritan was just about the last person that anyone in Israel would expect to stop and help. In centuries past, Samaritans had defied God's law by intermarrying with the Assyrians. Over time, they had developed their own version of the Torah and set up their own center for worship. Thus, as far as the Jews were concerned, the Samaritans were half-breed heretics. By the time of Christ, there was settled animosity between the two groups of people. And so here is, here is a Samaritan, somebody who is an enemy of the Jews, and he sees a Jewish man lying on the road, pretty much dead, it looks. And so most people would have expected, I'm sure the expert of the law would have expected him to say, oh, forget this guy, let me just walk on by. But instead, he sees him in need and he has compassion. He has a compassion, right? The word compassion, you know, it's, it's a Greek word. It expresses strong feelings of pity and tenderness. Right? It's a word that's often used to indicate God's compassion for us. In Christ, but here it is used to express the Samaritan's heart response to someone in desperate need. And so here is the Samaritan. He sees this Jewish man, somebody who should be an enemy, somebody who he shouldn't care about. His heart goes out to him. He doesn't stop there. What does he do? He doesn't just stop at his heart going out to him. No, he actually acts upon it. He went up, verse 34, to him. He went to him. He bound up his wounds wounds pouring on oil and wine that he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took two denarii and gave the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whenever, whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. And so what does he, what do we see? We see he sees the person in need. He has compassion, right? He has pity, his tenderness, his heart goes out to him. And, and then he says, I'm going to do something about it, right? I'm going to act upon it. And he, and he does a lot, right? He, he binds up his wounds. He gives first, first aid. He pours oil, right? And wine on it. 
he and then he so not only does he take care of the wounds but then what does he do he puts him on his own animal right and he he gives him transportation and then he takes he takes him to an inn he gives him shelter he takes care of him and he even gives money to someone else because he needs to go he needs to take care of some business but he gives money to the innkeeper to take care of this dying man while he is gone he gives him two denarii which is about two days wages which is a significant amount of money and then he says you know when i come back if you need more i'll give you more so what does he do he's taking care of his wounds he's taking care of his transportation he's taking care of his shelter right his housing he's taking care of his financial needs we see him acting and again, I think it is a reminder for us when we talk about loving our neighbor, right? The call, the command to love our neighbor, it, it's, we're talking about meeting others' needs. We need to see our neighbor, we need to see those around us, see what they're going through. And if they're in need, if they are broken, if they are hurting, our hearts should be compassionate. Our hearts should go out to the people around us, to our neighbors. And then lastly, it's not enough just to see and just to have a heart go out to them. We need to act, we need to do something about it. We need to say, what can I do for you? And sometimes the best thing we can do is pray for them. Sometimes we can help them financially. Sometimes we can help you know, with, with food, with shelter, whatever it might be. But the idea is we want to see, we want to have a heart go out to them and we want to act, right? We want to see to have compassion and be able to act. And let me see a little picture of the command, the call to love our neighbor. Uh, let me actually read something here, you know, specifically when it comes to a ministry of mercy, right? What, what is it, you know, in the context of loving our neighbor here? And I think, whoa, one, one person puts it this way, the ministry of mercy is the meeting of felt needs through deeds. Whereas an agent of the kingdom, the church seeks to bring substantial healing of the effects of sin in all areas of life. And, you know, and he goes on and on. But, but the working definition of mercy, right? Ministry of mercy is meeting of felt needs through deeds, right? It's meeting of felt needs through deeds, right? That's the way uh, Tim Keller actually puts it in his, in his book, Ministry of Mercy. But how do I love my neighbor? I see my neighbor's need. I have compassion and I desire to meet that need, right? To meet those felt needs through actions, through deeds. So we have the call and the command to love our neighbor. But then the, the second thing I want to really look at is, is this is a comprehensive and a costly calling because there's no limit to who it is, right? The, the lawyer asks, well, who is my neighbor? And the reason he's asking it that way is because I think he wants to say, well, not everybody can be my neighbor, right? Not everybody you know, deserves my help, right? Maybe it should be my own family, my own tribe, right? My own you know, people group, right? Maybe my own group of friends, you know, my own family. But He's asking Jesus, oh, well, who is my neighbor? And where's the limit? And Jesus pretty much is saying, there is no limit to who, because a Samaritan and a Jew, they were the last two people you would think of helping each other. They were enemies. They were disliking each other. They were not people that you, you would consider, you know, people that you would hang out with, right? These are people 
that there's a serious dislike here. And so Jesus purposely chooses the Samaritan to be the protagonist, right? To be the hero in a sense in the story because it was unexpected. And really what is Jesus saying? It doesn't even matter if the person who is in need is an enemy, there is no limit to who, right? If God puts someone before you who is in need, if somebody is in your road, is in your way, and if God in his sovereignty puts somebody in need in front of you and shows you their need, he's saying that person, is someone that he wants you to minister to, right? There is no limit to who. We can't say, oh, I will only show love to those in my family, those in my, those who are my friends, right? Those who are in my church or those who are people that I like or those who I get along with. Jesus is saying, there is no limit. It could be anyone, even somebody from a despised race or despised people group or somebody who you personally dislike because of your history. It could be an enemy. He's saying there is no limit to who when it comes to gospel neighboring or loving your neighbor. Your neighbor is anyone who God puts before you who is in need. But here's the other thing. There is no limit to when. It's costly, right? It's comprehensive because there's there's no limit to when. It doesn't matter if it's convenient or inconvenient, right? The Samaritan is on a road, a stretch of road that is dangerous. And so you might, maybe he might have thought, oh, this is not the right time, right? I, I want to, I, I might put myself in danger, right? This is no, not the appropriate time for me to help. But we might think like that too. We might think, Oh, you know, I would love to help. I would love to bless, but I don't have the money or I don't have, you know, the opportunity, you know, I don't have just the wherewithal right now, right? Life is too busy or life is too hard. And we may go on and on and on. But Jesus is making it clear. There is no limit to when we're called to love our neighbors, to when we're called to meet others' needs. But what we also see is just the comprehensiveness and the sacrificial is the costliness, right? Because this Samaritan, he takes care of all the needs that he sees. He takes care of the medical needs. He takes care of his transportation needs. He takes care of his you know, housing, right? His you know, needs because he puts them up there. He cares for him, you know, you know, provides for him. He, you know, gives him transportation, but also he even takes care of his financial needs, right? Because this person was robbed, has no money, and so he takes care of the financial needs by giving money to the innkeeper and promising more if more is needed. And so we see just the comprehensiveness, but also the Samaritan is doing all of this, right? Out of his own money, right? It's costly financially, but also he's doing it at his own risk. Because there is a chance that as he's helping this man, the same robbers that robbed this First person might come and rob the Samaritan. He may then be the person who is injured and in need. But what does he do? He doesn't seem to care about those things. He doesn't seem to care that it costs him money. He doesn't seem to care that he's putting himself in danger, right? His time, his money, right? His safety are all things that he's willing to sacrifice for the sake of another. And it's actually a pretty, pretty incredible thing. Um, let me read another quote here by, uh, by Tim Keller, who talks about, again, this providing needs in this way, uh, about mercy. And he says, 
he says theologians, well, let me put it this way. He says, one of the Puritans wrote, grace has to do with men's merits, but mercy has to do with men's misery. Theologians have discerned that God's mercy is that aspect of his nature which moves him to relieve suffering and misery. Mercy is the impulse that makes us sensitive to hurts and lacks in others and makes us desire to alleviate them, right? And these hurts or lack is what we call needs. Um, what are human needs? Needs are dependencies. All human beings were created dependent beings. We are not self-sufficient. We are only adequate in God. I want to really highlight a, one sentence here. Mercy is the impulse that makes us sensitive to hurts and lacks in others and makes us desire to alleviate them. The Samaritan wanted to do a ministry of mercy, but he saw this person who was hurting, who was lacking, and he had a desire to alleviate that. And us as Christians, we're called to have this heart of compassion and mercy where when we see others that are hurting, that are in need, that are lacking, we should have a desire to want to alleviate that need. And a lot of us probably have that heart to some extent, but then Jesus kind of blows it away and says, well, there's no limit though to who you do it for. There's no limit to when you do it. And in, in a sense, there seems to be even no limit to how much or what it is you do. Like, it's, you're supposed to do it sacrificially. And obviously, it starts well, with those that we know. It starts in our own families. It starts in our own church. When we look around our church, when we see people in need, we should have a heart to say, how can I bless you? How can I love you? Uh, and, and I see this actually at our church, you know, my, my wife and I, we benefited so greatly. And when we first got to Sojourner and, you know, as soon as we got here and a couple months later, you know, we, we had our, our son, our second child, and we were so blessed, you know, when we were in need where we had a church family providing for us um, just with gifts and with, with food, right? People coming by and just bringing food for us. And that was such a huge blessing. And, and we see that we our church does it not just for us. We see with others, you know, you know, even since that time, who have been in need, uh, and you know, and you know, we because we were so blessed, we were so glad we want to be a part of that too. And we say, hey, you know, we want to meet the needs of our congregation, and if whether whether it be, you know, whatever we can do. And one of the things we I think our church is very good at is providing food for those who are in need who are struggling in different ways. And I think that is a blessing. And so we should continue in our own church to look around, to see what are the needs and to say, and to have compassion and to say, hey, how can we, we bless you? How can we act upon it? But it doesn't just stop with our families, doesn't just stop in our church family, but it also, it's about those outside of our families, our church family, those in our communities, those around us, those all over the world, who are struggling, who are suffering. And, and as God puts certain people on our heart, as God puts people in our way, in our road, so to speak, there is a call, there is a command to love our neighbor, to see those needs, to have a heart of compassion and to say, how can we help? How can we act? How can we bless? And as a church, I hope that's something that we do, that we continue to meet the needs of our own church. And I hope it's something where we continue to meet of, you know, the needs of others, whether it be in the mission field or whether it be in our own community right here in, in Bergen County, as we look around and see our neighbors. And that's one of the reasons why, 
you know, we're thinking of, we, we want to, we're planning to start this mercy ministry committee uh, where we, we want people, you know, we want our church to really focus on more, you know, even more than we do, how we can meet the needs of our own church members, but also how we can meet the needs of those outside of our church walls, those outside of our church family, those in our communities, how can we bless them? How can we, you know, um, just meet the needs, the felt needs of others through deeds. And so that's something that we want to do and, and something that we hope that some of you can really, you know, volunteer for, you know, to be a part of and maybe even lead this committee so we could do more and more, you know, with the love of Christ. But here's something that I want to say. This command, this call, it's actually, I, I think it's impossible. To desire to bless others sacrificially, even those I don't know, even those who might be my enemies, even those who I might seem think are undeserving, you know, the people obviously that I know, but also people that I don't know, people that I might even dislike, like Jews and Samaritans back then, and to do it in an extent where there's seems to be no limit to who or to when, and I have to give sacrificially and my time, my money. I mean, this is an impossible calling. Unless, unless the motivation for it comes out of our realization of the grace that we have received. See, because if my motive is guilt, that's not going to last long, right? If my motive is guilt, or people say, oh, look how much you have, how blessed you are. Look at these other people, they don't have much, so you have to give. If that's really my motivation, that, that's not going to last very long. It's actually, you know, I might have a guilt trip and I might maybe do some nice things. And after a while, I'm going to get tired of it. Or if my motivation is, I think I'm such a nice person, I want to prove how nice and loving and good I am. Again, that kind of motivation is not going to last. The only motivation that really allows me to empty myself and to give and to love sacrificially, to be a gospel neighbor, right? To be meeting others' needs. Um, through my, you know, through deeds, with, with love, with compassion, uh, with sacrifice, is when I see more and more how much I have received. See, I think a lot of us, when we look at this Good Samaritan story, the temptation is to see ourselves as the Samaritan, right? Oh yeah, I should be the Good Samaritan. I should see the people in need in front of me and I am gonna be like him and I'm going to, you know, take care of the medical and take care of, you know, transportation and housing and food and finances, and I'm going to give and give. And, and I think if that's our motivation, I mean, that's really just moralism, and that's not going to work. That's not going to last very long. I think what we need to do is see that if I'm going to put myself in this story, I'm the, I'm, I'm the person who's lying on the road. I'm the person who's dying on the road. I'm the one who is in need of help. I'm the one who, who has no hope. I need someone to help me. So then who does the Good Samaritan point to? It's obviously pointing to Christ. He is the true Good Samaritan. And, and here's the thing, you know, in this passage, the man is half dead. For us, we are dead. The Bible is so clear that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, not dying. We were dead. We had no hope. None whatsoever. And Jesus sees us. 
and he has compassion for sinners like us. Sometimes people say, oh, I only want to help people that deserve help. Well, we don't deserve help. We deserve nothing. We deserve condemnation. We deserve hell. But Jesus has compassion on people like us, on sinners like us. And then what does he do? He, he helps us, obviously. But unlike the Samaritan who risked his life, who risked his safety to help, what does Jesus do? He actually gave his life willingly. He went to the cross for sinners like you and me, who were people who were dead in their trespasses and sins. Jesus gave his own life. He did what only he could do for us as he went to the cross and he died the death that we deserve. He died so that we could live. He died, he rose again. And now when we put our faith in Christ, we are forgiven, we are saved. And when we understand this grace, when we understand this love, when we understand what Christ has done for us, and we are blown away and amazed by that, that we who deserve nothing have received everything in Christ. When we understand that, then what happens is our hearts are stirred, our hearts are moved. And now, of course, we want to worship God. We want to give him all the glory. But what do we also want to do? We don't want to just love God. We want to love our neighbors. And we want to love our neighbors as Christ has loved us. And I, I, I hope, I pray that that will be our hearts. That we will look to Christ. Look to Christ who has loved us so much. And knowing that love, being moved by that love, we will love God with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind, but also that we will love our neighbors, that we will look to see the need, that we would have hearts of compassion, but also that we would act upon it, right? We see the call, the command to love our neighbor. We see the costliness of that call and the command but we can only do that when our motivation comes from knowing Christ, what he has done for us and just reveling in that and just being so thankful and so grateful in that, that we say, Lord, as you have loved me, now I will want to love, to bless others in need. And I hope that is my heart, that is your heart. And I hope that as a church, that will be all of our hearts. And I hope that as we, and I pray that as we start this Mercy Ministry Committee that we could, as a church, really ask ourselves how we can continue uh, to really meet the needs, meet the felt needs of those in our church and those in our communities with the love of Christ. And I want to again encourage you, right? another plug, right? Uh, if that's something that you're interested in, uh, please speak to myself um, and just let us know if that's a desire to serve in that way. And we would love to have you come on board. And so I hope and pray that we would always look to Christ and always seek to love as we have been so deeply loved. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for you are good. You are 